Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Since I am speaking along the lines of marriage matters today, I felt deemed appropriate and important to have my precious wife come up here, uh, Sister McGee. I love and appreciate her. Uh, she is my wife and will have been in November for 15 years uh, that we have been married. And I count that a great honor in today's society to have been married to the same lady for 15 years. Especially when statistics say that over half of marriages dissolved by their ninth year. Uh, I, I count that a great honor and privilege uh, to have her with me today. And along this, uh, along this lesson this morning, I have already told her if she feels like uh, supplying any information in addition to what I am supplying, she can chime in at any time. She has that, pardon me? No, you can't use that. You'll have to use that. She can chime in. At, see, she already has something to say. She can chime in at any time uh, to say something. But no, seriously, whenever we uh, ever talk with anybody, whether it be marriage counseling or premarital counseling, she is a great, great help. And she is a woman. I, I, do, not, I do not say this lightly. She is a woman with a lot of wisdom. A lot of wisdom, and uh, I'd say even say wisdom beyond beyond her years. And I appreciate her. She's quick on her feet too, quick in her mind. She's very quick-minded, and uh, I've met that on both ends of the spectrum. To my to my uh, uh, discredit and to her credit, sometimes. But uh, I'm glad that she's she is my wife, and here in the love and adore her, uh, appreciate her. If you'll stand with me. Do we have anybody that's been here that's been married for over 50 years? Over 50 years. Look right here. Helen and Dick Burbrick. Who else? Sister Verna had been married for over 50 years. Amen. If, uh, if uh, Junior Nyring Weisenberger was here, they would have been married for over 60 years. And so uh, that's great. That's great. And I, I, I hope, but I doubt that we will see things like that as years go by in our society. That uh, the length of time of those things will become more obsolete than they will, uh, uh, they will become more rare. And uh, so, but I want to talk about today maybe perhaps how we can keep that going uh, if we may or if we can. And again, and I know uh, whenever you begin talking about uh, marriage or something along those lines, that can be a very, that can be a very sensitive subject. Uh, for some people because I understand the circumstances that are even represented here in this sanctuary this morning uh, differ in uh, life is certain things have happened in life and anything that I say this morning is by no means uh, trying to discolor or hurt uh, a situation that may have happened in your life. I want you to understand that 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 is not my that is not my purpose. That is not my, not my I don't have no axe to grind there. Okay, I don't have an axe to grind there. But I am trying to help us as people who have spouses uh, try to just have a good marriage, a good marriage founded upon God and the sight of God, and try to hone that because uh, we know it don't just happen. Or at least I hope we understand that. If we don't, we will before it's all said and done. It don't just happen. All right, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5 this morning. This will be our springboard. I don't know how far we will get today. I'm not really worried about that because I believe this is very needful, amen, for us today. In the church, just as much in the world. It doesn't, it doesn't, the predator of broken homes doesn't know uh, the, the distinction of any of those, church or world. Uh, he sees both as, as good prey uh, to take advantage of. Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse 33, this one verse uh, to be a springboard for us today. Uh, the Apostle Paul summarizes here in the end of this chapter, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And again, our subject matter for however many weeks this goes is marriage matters. And that may be a little ambiguous, and it's meant to be that way. Marriage matters. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning. I'm asking God for your anointing, God, in this place. I'm asking God for your anointing, 
upon my mind and upon my lips. I pray, O oh Lord, today to share this Word of God. Lord, we oftentimes say that the Word is good for every area, Lord, of our life. It's a good tool and a good resource to go to. And I pray, God, by looking at it through this lens today that we will, Lord, prove in a certain sense, God, that very statement. God, that it is a good tool, Lord, to live our relationships of marriage by. God, strengthen, I pray, even now, Lord, the marriage Lord of this assembly and of this church Lord God that they would love one another respect one another and do all of this Lord with a great and tremendous foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus I pray amen and amen everybody say amen look at your spouse or your neighbor whoever it may be beside you and tell them marriage matters marriage matters you may be seated this morning Oh, if it were, just like picking up the best of best fairy tale books and reading the transition between two individuals that may have not known each other, meet each other in a magical moment, uh, hearts, desires, and love being exchanged only for the culmination, the end of the book, come to wedding with birds and animals and songs and breezes blowing and the magic of a kiss and those final words and they lived happily ever after and I think perhaps even that mindset has uh, duped society to a certain extent into believing that relationships particularly marriage relationships will go on forever in eternal bliss without there having to be any maintenance any upkeep like I just say it just bluntly any work amen it's the young maid that kisses the frog <laughs> I did that for us guys it's the young maid that kisses the frog and it becomes her knight in shining armor it's that prince that's going to take her away adore her for the rest of her life and uh, sadly, though, they never include in the book the warts that she got from handling the frog, you know. <laughs> never show that part of it. And as I said Wednesday, I stayed again tonight. Being that 90% of people will get married, I believe this is an important subject matter for us to embrace. With a recent conversation not long ago, I had with a young lady and uh, I spoke to her and I said plainly she was not married she was single and I, I said plainly uh, unto her that marriage should appropriately be spelled W-O-R-K I was telling this young lady I said it should be spelled work because it's just not a on the weekends type of work though it's not a just on the weekends type of work nor is it just a Monday through Friday job it's not an 8 to 5 job Marriage isn't. It's a every day, every hour, every moment type of work. And whenever you begin to talk about marriage, sometimes there's overtime. Amen. Sometimes there's overtime because uh, for people who are newly married, you show you throw in that first year of marriage, and man, there's a lot of extra hours got to be put in sometimes. I know in our first year of marriage, there were some late nights and maybe some early mornings because you didn't get to bed then because you didn't get some things resolved until then and uh, then whenever you throw in the dynamic of kids there's some overtime involved uh, there's things demanding your attention and, and there's a lack of sleep and mountain or molehills molehills become mountains so there's some overtime involved and then you start talking about changing jobs and start talking about moving from place to place uh, and uprooting your life and vocation and the busyness and catastrophic events then happen in your home and then we start talking about you got to be intentional you got to be intentional about this thing called marriage uh, good marriages by all means if we were to call them good lasting marriages those who are here today who have been married over 50 will tell us that they don't just happen they are not just a result of just man the planets just lined up just right 
and wow, there was this synergy and it just happened. They are made. Good marriages are made. They are worked at. And perhaps we all have our ups and downs, uh, you know, in marriage. Uh, there, there, I don't think there was probably a perfect marriage that set out sail in a particular direction and never had any turbulence on the sea. If you have, you may exit the building right now because you're probably lying. <laughs> or come to the altar one. And whenever we talk about it not being perfect, perhaps some of these scriptures may help define marriage for some of us or some of you at some period of time in the length of your marriage. And uh, let me preface this and say, I pardon right now for the slant toward the ladies on these next few verses. These were taken from Proverbs, all right? Remember from Wednesday, Proverbs were mostly of a father talking to his son about females or a mother talking to her son about females. So ladies, don't get out your, your daggers and your spears and get the tar and feather ready for me yet, please. But perhaps marriage is explained maybe along these lines for some people or has been in your past. Proverbs 19 and verse number 13, it says, as a foolish son is the calamity of his father and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. That, you, you can apply that either direction. Proverbs 21 and 9, the Bible says, it's better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. And that's quite severe, folks. I'm telling you, that's quite severe. He said a brawling, he didn't even say a brawling woman in a narrow house. He said it's better to be in the corner. It's rather to be in a narrow place on the housetop than to be in a wide house with a brawling woman. <laughs> Proverbs, amen. Proverbs 21, verse 19. He said it's better to dwell in the wilderness. Here's the hunters, I guess. He said, I'd rather be out in my deer stand. He said, it's better to be in the wilderness than being with a contentious and angry woman. And if I, honey, I'm going to the woods. <laughs> Amen. Go get my camouflage and I'm going to the woods. Amen. And so before marriage, the thing is, before we get married, and we can be honest with ourselves because now we're honest with people that's right in the same spot that we were prior to we got married. And uh, if there were uh, people out here that weren't married, I would tell them, pay attention to what married people say uh, because they're not just saying that. And they didn't just dream it up. They probably experienced some of what they're talking about. And uh, you'll look back over your shoulder later and say, you know what, they were right. I should have listened, so on and so forth. And so uh, many times before marriage, you know, we're so in love and there's stars in our eyes. And, and the tendency is that we, we emphasize all of the similarities between that one and we're going to sp that one we're going to spend the rest of our life together. You know, we both like tacos or, you know, it can be very elementary. You know, we both like the color blue and, and, and so on and so forth. And there's all these similarities similarities that we concentrate on that we oftentimes overlook the differences before marriage and then the pendulum swings quite the opposite direction after marriage and you live together for a while and you get up and you go to bed and you've lived a life and you share the same home in the same space and you're around each other when you're not necessarily in the best of moods and life isn't going your way. And then after marriage, there seems to be a shift. Then as spouses and people, then we begin to capitalize on our differences and overlook our similarities. We begin to concentrate upon, well, I tell you what, he doesn't put down the toilet seat and, and she and she, you know, and he says, well, you know, and, and, and it just goes back and forth. They, we we want to concentrate then what's upon different than what's upon right. And whenever you do that, you'll start looking for. When you start concentrating upon what may be different, you'll look for stuff and maybe find stuff that's not even there that is seemingly different. My wife wants to chime in. You want to chime in? Go on. I just remember whenever we were first married and uh, we lived in the trailer and um, whenever we first got married, I always told him he was the one from Mama's Homes cooking to Don's microwavables because his mom was an amazing cook, and I didn't know how to cook that well, but I learned it wasn't that hard. Anyway, so I cooked him a meal one night. I think it was a casserole or whatnot. It was too hot to put in the fridge, and I put it back in the oven so that it would just be there, and I'd go put it in the fridge, and he could take leftovers to work the next day. And he got up real early for work, and those of you who have known me any length of time know that usually I'm not a real morning person. He was, I wasn't. And uh, 
I was sleeping. He was getting ready for work, and he comes in there, and he shakes me awake, and he goes, dear, dear. And I'm like, what? Of course, you know, it's early, and I'm not in the best moods, obviously. He goes, do you know that you left that casserole in the oven all night long, and now we can't eat it? And I looked at him, I said, you woke me up at such o'clock in the morning to tell me I left a casserole in the oven? Really? So it was just one of those things that happened to us that was like, okay, it was a small thing, but it was a big thing to him that I left the casserole in the oven all night, and it was ruined. But whenever you got to eat a sandwich for lunch rather than casserole, I'm telling you, it was important to this old boy right now. I probably wouldn't wake her up today for some, well, I don't know, we'll just... We haven't had that happen. I just make sure the casserole's back in the refrigerator. That's what I do. <laughs> man to a way, uh, what they say, uh, uh, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Well, I'm telling you, that's true with this boy right here. <clears throat> Amen. Um, you know, today you can, uh, there are, you know, there's civil unions. You can go to the courthouse, you know, outside of a church. You can go to the courthouse for a civ civil union, and it's before uh, the governing body of the city or the community. Uh, but whenever we begin to talk about a Christian, a Christian marriage, that usually takes place within a church, and it's before people that you go to church with a lot of times. And uh, most importantly, and I know it is even at the courthouse before God, but there's just something special about uh, the place being in a church, being before God. And, uh, you know, the, the natural impulse sometimes in marriages is to, to keep score of, of the faults. But whenever we consider a, a Christian home and a Christian marriage, yeah, that happens too, but hopefully through a marriage that is Christ-centered, that is Christ-based, it will enable us, if we do see the fault, at least have the gumption or the ability to forgive the fault, even as he uh, forgave us. There's troubles to be expected in marriage. Newsflash. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 28, it says, But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned, and if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. Those who marry, those of us who have been married, there is troubles that happen in our marriages. Now, why in the world is this the case? I mean, I love this person. I, I bought them these gifts and we did things together. And why is it now such a struggle? Why do I have troubles in this life? Well, it doesn't take very much thinking now on this side of the spectrum to understand why that is. We're taking two. Most of you did not marry somebody just like yourself. That usually don't happen. You usually marry somebody opposite of you. In other words, if you're a spender, most, a lot of times you'll marry a savior. Uh, a savior? <laughs> I don't know about that, saver. Uh, uh, most of the time, if, if you are the, the neat and the tidy one, you're going to marry someone that's a little bit more messy. Um, for instance, if you're the one that would usually put the milk back, if you'd normally put the casserole back in the refrigerator, <laughs> after the meal, you're going to marry someone that's going to keep it in the oven. <laughs> Amen. So you're bringing two different lives. I'm not grinding the axe with her. I want you to know that. <laughs> Say, well, it's going to get good before it's all over around here. We're going to call our friends, and we might need to sell tickets for this, you know. <clears throat> We're joining together two, two absolutely different lives. And whenever we begin to think, okay, you came from a certain household, they came from a certain household. Their mom and dad taught them certain things about life that maybe your mom and dad didn't teach you or at least taught you in a different manner or a different way. And so you both come into a relationship with, with preconceived ideas about what marriage should be that you no doubt learned greatly from the marriage of your mom and dad that was before you. And so you bring in here with these preconceived ideas by what you were exposed to. They came in, come in with their preconceived ideas about what they were ex exposed to. And now they expect, that woman expects the man to act the way that their dad acted in a marriage many times. And the woman and the guy expects that lady, you know, to maybe perhaps function as the mom did in, in, in his, his parents. Am I getting it all backwards? Oh, in his parents' marriage, you know, if mom, if mom, mom, your mom, you know, aren't your husband's fruit of the loom? She might not, you know, that wife you get might not iron yours. 
Yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> that might not happen. So we have two different people coming in, two different upbringings. And along with that, with those different families, they place high priority on different things than the other family placed priority on. What they thought was valuable, what they thought was of worth. And so there's an emphasis on different things. And so now... Here we are, we're in this marriage, uh, we're married to somebody, and the main thing that we need, though, in marriage, and this is the big thing, this is where most troubles come from in marriage. It's whenever we lean on the fact that we're still trying to please ourselves rather than please our mate. Now, there's a third chord in marriage that we need not neglect. I'm going to spend a lot of time on today, and it's called the God factor. The God factor. Now, I do want to state, just because you're a Christian, you have God in your life, doesn't mean your marriage won't ever have any problems. But I will say, you probably have a better foot and a better direction if He is a part of your home and a part of your marriage. He's not going to take care of all your problems, but I'd hate to see what my problems went to if I didn't have Him in my marriage. Or didn't have Him in this institute. And so, we need this third party involved that's called God. Because Whenever you commit to any relationship over a period of time, I said Wednesday night, there will be conflicts and there will be problems. The Song of Solomon, and we will over the next several weeks hit on the Song of Solomon. If it's been a while since you read it, read it. Read it with your spouse. It is the most, it is the most erotic book of the entire Bible. And a reason and a purpose of God being with His church and giving us a pattern. But the Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse number 15, uh, Solomon is saying, and he's speaking to the Shulamite, and he's saying, take us the foxes. He says, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Solomon just had a burgeoning relationship here with the Shulamite. You know, they're starry-eyed, and they're going to be coming married and wedded. And he's telling her, he said, let's take the foxes, because the little foxes spoil the vines. I think it was great uh, for him to have the foresight to know that it's oftentimes the little things. Is it not? It's the little things that eat away at healthy relationships. As a matter of fact, if you ever notice sometimes in the argument, and a lot of times what happens, uh, that little thing, of course, uh, you, you gave it the expando ray, and it becomes as big as life. And you've blown it up. And if you notice, a lot of times what happens whenever you start going down that line in that venue over this little thing, and it's silly, but at that moment, I'm telling you what, it's very serious. And I want you to know. And as you start talking about that, sometimes one of the spouses has uh, this, this, this ability. It almost like happens just without thinking. They start talking about another thing and another thing. And another thing, and before you know it, the table is littered with a bunch of little things. And that's what you call table sinking. You know, it wasn't just that uh, you, didn't, you, didn't re you didn't get me a card for our anniversary, but then, then it's, it's that, the, you know, there's, there's a lot. You didn't take the trash out the other day, and it stunk up the hay. You know, there's a lot of other things that table sinks. And whenever you begin to look at it, overall, man, that's a big glob, but it's just a bunch of little things. Just a bunch of little things that has disrupted a healthy relationship. And more importantly, a bunch of little things that nobody talked about when they needed to be talked about. They've waited. Pastor, I believe that if you start throwing in all those little things all at once, you're not really going to resolve any of them. Because you're both just going to walk away frustrated. Because you've got so many things on the table, you can't concentrate on just one. And a lot of times, some people have the personality that they don't talk about things that bother them until they explode. They just let it build up, build up, build up, build up. And, you know, the best thing to do is if there is something and it's small, just mention it. And a lot of times it just has to do with your approach, you know, and how you address them whenever you bring up your issue. Um, a lot of times if you can just say, hey, it would really mean a lot to me if you could do such and such, such and such, rather than, well, you never do this or you, you know, it just a lot of times happens in your approach. Or, you know, it would mean a lot to me. That takes all the sting out of it, too, rather than just throwing all these things at them at once. Amen. And so Solomon is bringing this up. He's seeing in this relationship that it's going to be some little things. They had a relatively new relationship to be cared for, to be protected from the little foxes. And he said, for our vines, 
uh, might even say that you know well, this relationship that we have it has some some tender grapes which is basically nothing but young grapes immature not not totally mature grapes yet and it seemed like little foxes favored the immature grapes they favored tender grapes and so foxes uh they're being somewhat burrowing animals they would burrow their hoes and form passages in the ground and, and they would loosen the soil uh, around the roots of the vine and as a result of that it was hurting the vine the vine couldn't grow properly the vine couldn't prosper properly and so he says we got to take care of this little stuff because it's going to erode and hurt the very root of our vine of our relationship that we have with one another uh, it's not only a good practice in developing a relationship, but it's also uh, coveted and well to form relationships because in essence, uh, these things that cause the root system of the vines uh, to be comprised, whenever they deteriorate, they're going to affect your marriage. And so uh, something that's vitally important is a marriage is our relationship with God. Our relationship with God. We don't want that to begin to deteriorate or begin to slack off because in doing so, it will affect our relationship with each other affect our relationship with each other it's time to get first things first we can talk about everything on the table but if we're talking about a misalignment with God we need to talk about that first in marriage relationships Genesis 2 and verse 18 the Bible says and the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone I will make him a help meet for him it was God's idea to provide a mate for Adam God's idea God's idea to do that a suitable mate, one that corresponded with Adam, one that fit him rightly. And this is a statement I try to make to people, uh, especially if they're on the verge of getting married because I think it's a false thought that enters into the minds uh, of couples, and that is our spouses cannot complete us. Maybe, I don't know, that's a newsflash. Your spouse cannot complete you. The best they can do is compliment you. Because, see, people are looking for someone to complete them many times. And they get then into their marriage and their home and they're still seeing some voids and they're still seeing uh, some emptiness here and there. That's the reason why marriage has to be founded on God. There is no person in this universe, relationship in this universe, that can complete you except God. And so you're putting false burdens upon that spouse if you're looking to them to bring that full completion to your life. It will not happen without God being in your marriage and being a part of your life. I can't expect Sister McGee to complete me. God didn't make her to complete me. He made her to help me. Amen. And so entering in thinking that they're going to complete you, sorry, unrealistic expectation. Unrealistic expectation. You will be disappointed if that is your frame of mind from your husband or from your wife. God never purposed it like that. Amen. They can only compliment you. The Bible says in Colossians 2 and verse number 10, it says, and ye are complete in him. Speaking of Jesus Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. There's where your completion comes. It comes from the Lord. So please, don't put undue stress and burden upon your spouse and it, because they're just not meeting every, every, every need. Some needs can only be met by God. Amen. And whenever you see the bubble starts getting off level from the relationship with him, then you'll start having some troubles in the home. Because what are you doing? You're looking again to your spouse as being the one to complete you rather than God. Or complete your marriage. Or complete your home. You are only complete in him. Amen. And look at the burden that you're placing on your spouse. You're expecting them to do something that only God can do for you. I don't, I don't want that type of expectation from my wife. I know she loves me, but I'm a far cry from God. I'm telling you right now. She don't call me Lord and Master. That's for sure. I'm a far cry from God. So I don't want her to put that type of burden up on my shoulders. Amen. Now that may be flattering. That may be, maybe that's what some husbands expect. That may be flattering. But in doing so, I, she's made you an idol if she really is expecting you to fulfill what only God can fulfill in her life 
Amen? And it'll cause problems. In Ecclesiastes 4.12, and it's not up there, sister, but I'm just making reference to it. The Bible is speaking about how a threefold cord, I believe marriage is that threefold cord, how a threefold cord that it's not quickly broken because I believe it involves God and it involves your mate. We have a husband, we have a wife, we have God, and two individuals who try to make a marriage without God may always feel like something missing because there is something missing. It cannot be complete without God. When's the last time you tried to do a braid with two strands of hair? Pretty frustrating, is it? Twist, 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 unravel. Twist, 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 unravel. Because that third fork, you need something to wrap those other two around. Amen. You need the God factor, the God element in our lives and in our marriages. Now, there's no wonder that society has deemed two people getting married as tying the knot, in my opinion. <laughs> Because that's the only way you can probably keep two cords halfway together is to tie them in a knot. <laughs> but you need to somehow stop tying the knot and do a braid. Let their lives be interwoven and twisted among each other by God becoming that third fold cord. And it's the only successful way of doing it. Amen. Genesis 2. Yes, go on. I was going to say that, and that is absolutely so true because if God is not a part of your marriage, then whenever arguments and frustration and things arise, if you each don't have a personal relationship with him and you're not serving God, then you're just serving the flesh. And you're not going to have forgiveness. You're not going to have compassion. You're not going to have love. And so when troubles arise and you get hurt or you get mad or you get angry, you're going to do what you want to do in the flesh rather than doing what God would have you do. Because when you're serving him and you're full of the Holy Ghost and you're letting him lead you, then those things that come arise, you have God in you. You know, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. He gives you the strength then to be able to overcome those issues as a couple rather than, because that's why, you know, you end up with so many divorces. People don't have God in their marriage. Then they just do what the flesh feels good to do, and that's to walk away or to not even try. But when you have God and you've made a commitment before him and you believe in honoring that commitment and honoring that vow, then you're going to have forgiveness and you're going to realize we're not perfect. And if I don't forgive others, God won't forgive me. And when we realize our place in him, then it helps us in our place, in our relationship, in our marriage. Amen. Genesis 2.21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Verse 22, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from Adam made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Again, I think it's all important. It's God's idea to get a mate for Adam to begin with. It's God's idea. And now it is God's prompting, God's work. He is the one now bringing the woman into the life of the man. He brought Eve unto Adam. So not, not only, God not only created man and woman, but I believe by virtue of this, we understand that God is also creating now the covenant of marriage. That marriage is just as much as part of God's creation as the birds of the air, amen, the fish of the sea. Marriage is a part of the creation of God. So he brings this first man and this first woman together in marriage, and that is the biblical picture of marriage, one man, right, and one woman being brought together in the side of God. Uh, 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 that's the biblical picture. The only way a woman can be brought to a man is by God, uh, if we could say it like that. But with that, with that being the case, with this, this man and woman being brought together by God and God created it, who are we then to go on trying to tend this thing called marriage without ever consulting the creator of it? Right. Amen. I mean, and I know there's a lot of help books out there, and that's great, and that's tremendous, and some of them are very resourceful and useful. But don't, don't overestimate contacting the one who made the marriage. You know, if I, if I got something, I got this instruction manual, and, and man, I'm just kind of having problems with this. You know, they usually have some little number there to call the one who constructed this thing to begin with. You know, if, if I have problems with uh, my, my gateway computer, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to call. I'm not going to call those who make Scott Tau and ask them, hey, what can I do about this? You know, 
I'm going to ask the one who made this thing, who created this thing. And so in our marriages, you know, we have a tendency to go everywhere else, but let's go to the one who created it, who brought it all about to begin with. Amen. So, so the natural tendency then, we already know uh, from New Testament Scripture of marriages that there begins somewhere along in life to be struggles and there's breakdowns and things are not at their height like they used to be. And, and sometimes that happens whenever people start to eliminate the God element in their life. I would even dare to say this morning, ladies and gentlemen, just from reflecting on my own life, that whenever you grow cold with God, you'll grow cold sometimes with your spouse. Amen. Whenever you start stop tending to the relationship with him, you'll start having some problematic things in your life. Uh, this was interesting. I've shared this before. There may be some people privy to this story, but uh, in Yosemite National Park, there's these magnificent redwoods. It's a forest just of giant redwoods. And among those numerous trees stands a very huge redwood among the forest. It's about 40 feet in diameter. That's a big tree, amen? 40 feet in diameter. And at the base of the tree reads, the faithful couple. The faithful couple. And as it is explained several hundred of years ago, these two trees just sprouted as a couple little seedlings on the forest floor about 15 feet apart. And after several hundreds of years, these two trees grew individually. And as they got larger, their trunks grew, of course, thicker. And making that 15 feet, being lesser and lesser feet, until the trunks of these two trees actually touched and started to grow together. And somewhere, uh, several hundreds of years later, the trunks literally touch and they begin to fuse together as one tree. And now they're there 40 feet in diameter. They, they're the sum total of their lives that were separate, but now together. And they're still there now. I mean, roots are big. They're a big, big canopy of tree. And they are the faithful couple if I can say in certain sense that I think this in a certain way exemplifies a married lives because whenever you are close enough to each other where you can grow and you can mature into one tree it's because your roots are sunk in the same soil Amen. Sunk into the same soil, that soil being what we're talking about today, this foundation of it being God. First and foremost, marriage is not physical or emotional. It is spiritual. Marriage is spiritual. And when both lives have a separate connectivity to God, it just increases that factor of spirituality. You push that aside, you push that spiritual side uh, thing aside, you ignore it, amen, and then we ignore the creator who created to begin with. In Ephesians chapter number five, I'm keeping track of time here today, in, in Ephesians chapter number five this morning, Paul is describing the role of the husband and the wife as modeling that of Christ in his church, if you read all of Ephesians chapter number five, how that uh, what the head is to the body, uh, the, the Christ is unto his church and the unity of the church though is not just between the members the, the finger and the hand and the knee and the leg it's not just between the members but it's especially between the head and the rest of the body the unity of the church and so the unity of the church though is spoken Ephesians 4 that we keep, we keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, that the unity is directly related into the spirit. The unity is based upon the spirit. The unity of the members in the body is based upon the spirit. The unity of the head, which is Christ, and the body, which is the church, is all based upon the spirit. But he uses that very thing, Christ and his church, as a model for marriage. And if the unity of that body, the church, and Christ is based upon the spirit... The unity of the marriage of the woman, the man, needs to be based upon the spirit. The harmony of the home should be based upon the spirit as well. God, we went this route before. I wish to go there again in Matthew 7, verse 24. And this is reiterating, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian home or family or non-Christian home and family. God spoke about two different foundations for life. Uh, in the book of Matthew 7 uh, equally applicable to, to couples building a home together a relationship together verse 24 therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock 
And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened to a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I've mentioned before, I mentioned again though, when we talk about relationships, he's talking about a wise man and a foolish man. And they're building one upon a rock and one upon sand. But as I pointed out before, but I wish to, again, just for our sakes today, that the same rain, the same storm, if you look at verse 25 and 27, they are almost word for word until it comes to one falling and one not falling. They experienced the same storms, they experienced the same rain, the same wind blew upon both of the houses that beat upon them both. Amen. They experienced the same storms, but the only difference is this, their foundation. The Lord doesn't even start to talk about whether it was a house of brick or one of straw, okay? He doesn't even start to talk about the makeup of each house because the makeup of each house is immaterial whenever the foundation of each house is different. Amen. It needs to be built upon a rock. Amen. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, uh, when we talk about the relationship with each other, amen, that relationship, and I know this is hard to grasp, maybe swallow sometimes today, but that, that whole factor is absolutely immaterial right now in the beginning of this series. Unless we're talking then about you and your relationship with God. Because your relationship is immaterial if your relationship with God is off kilter. Maybe I'm blown smoke, but I don't think I am. Your relationship with God is paramount because that will in, in, directly help you in your relationship with your spouse. In Song of Solomon, verse number 3 and verse number 6 Chapter 3, rather, in verse number 6, the Bible says, this is the Shulamite, his beloved, she's speaking. What's happening right here is on the verge of the wedding day. It's on the verge of them starting a life together. And she says, who is this that cometh out of the wilderness? Now, I don't know if he's in the wilderness because there was a continual dropping in the house of a brawling woman or what, but she says, who is this? I'm just joking. Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all powders of the merchant? Solomon is on his way to his wedding day. And she's seeing this, and she's describing this, and she's describing him as coming like pillars of smoke. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the Song of Solomon is nothing but Hebrew poetry. And we know poetry, it stands for more than just what it's talking about. And whenever we understand that, whenever she said he's coming forth like pillars of smoke, you remember in the Old Testament, this is all very symbolic. You remember in the Old Testament that the children of Israel would be led by the Spirit of the Lord and the guidance of God. He was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In essence, what her, his beloved is saying, here is my sweetums, here is, he's coming to the marriage, but he is coming as though he is following a pillar, a cloud. He's coming as he's following the Lord to this marriage. Somebody hearing me right now. He's following the Lord unto this marriage, to this wedding day. Amen. Can I tell you, that's a great, that's a great trait for somebody that's about to be married, that they're following God to that wedding day, and hopefully they'll nurture that, that the, she can say in years come by, who is this coming that he's still a man following God? Amen. He's still a man that's following God because it's going to help the success of their marriage. We get committed many times. You, you, commit, you commit to her or to him by committing to God in essence. Amen. He says in verse 22, Ephesians 5 verse 22, and I'll let us go just here just a few more minutes and then I'll close for today. But Ephesians 5 22, because here's the scripture some people just really take to the left or the right. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And there has been a lot of ignorant men. And no ladies even said amen on that, and I'm surprised. But there's, there's Sister Rhonda, thank you, sis. There has been a lot of ignorant men 
that they have taken this sole verse to use to repress their wives and uh, cause their wives to be resentful, maybe even through the eyes of the man so-called rebellious because there's been a misapplication of Ephesians 5.22. I think we need to understand this verse in the context in which it was written. If you want to start reading verses, then you go on up one verse and look at verse number 21 of this same chapter. And we see verse 21 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Uh-huh. I, hey, let me tell you right now, I, I, I don't care for any man that wants to sit in a seat and ring a bell for his wife to come and do and so and so forth. No. Oh, Lord. I don't know if I hit a vein there, my God. I don't, that's not the will of God. For you to ring your bell. Oh, Lord, we, we might have a... We, this is going to be a long series in it. Hallelujah. Submit. Phone ring and it's laying right beside you. Come answer it. Mm. He says, he said, first there in verse 21, he says, submit yourselves to one another. And here's the God factor again. In the fear of God. How do we submit to one another? We submit to one another in the fear of God. In other words, really our submittal to one another is impossible, again, without the God factor. Mm -hmm. There can't be healthy, appropriate submission of the man into the woman, the woman into the man, without there being the God factor in marriage. He can come home. Let's say she's a stay-at-home mom. Well, I'll tell you what, she needs to do so-and-so and so forth. I've worked all day. Well, what in the world do you think she's done? When's the last time you stayed home with her and see what she's done? You seen the dishes she had to clean that you ate off of? You see the laundry she had to do from the clothes that you wore? You seen the kids that man have went into this 10th cloud orbit today while you was gone? And by the time you got home, that's already out of their, all out of their system, but she had to deal with it for the past 8, 10 hours. You worked all day? Yeah. Let me tell you something. She worked all day too. She worked all day too. You know, a, a common practice, and my wife and I both, uh, at different times in our life, both worked, you know. I, I understand society has almost deemed it impossible anymore, really, uh, for it to be any otherwise. I understand that. And, uh, unless you're just, just landed something of great I don't know. Anyway, it just almost deemed it that way. And so we do then have a husband and wife, you know, that, that, that both work. But I, I, this, is just, this is just McGee here, okay? I, I, I don't see then if there's two people coming home, a wife and a husband home from work, then that she still has to do everything around the house while he finds his recliner and kicks up his feet. Oh, I'm becoming an enemy. Right here. She's been to work. I've been to work. You might work the same amount of hours. Maybe you did manual labor, but maybe she did something else. And let me tell you something, folks. Physical labor is absolutely hard. I've been physical labor side, and I've been in the office side. And they are both equally, are very taxing. We just tax you in a different way. One affects your body, and the other affects your mind, which affects your body. And I'm telling you the truth. And so they both come home. And, I, and this is nothing, but I think it's a good practice that, you know, if dinner has been made and you've ate, there's nothing wrong with the both of you trying to clean up after that's done. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what my mindset always with that. My mindset always with that, whenever we both worked secular jobs, was this. Because if I can help her and we can get this done, we'll get it done quicker this was, this was PK, or prior to kids, you know. <laughs> then I'll have more time to spend with her. Now, perhaps the reason why some don't want to do that is because they want to spend more time with their remote and their television. I didn't marry her just to marry her and just have a companion in my life. 
I'm feeling clouds move in and it's looking like a storm's on the horizon. Hallelujah. You know what? And it's, uh, I'm talking about first years of marriage and you don't have the kid factor so you don't have to worry about anybody else but God and your partner. You know what? The shed that I have set in my house today made of wood we bought one time in the beginning of the year. We both painted that together. Brother Brad Worth lived across the street in a trailer, in the same trailer court we did. He always gave me a hard time because I'd be out there. Wash, I'd wash my cars every weekend. I wish I, still could, uh, wish I still could get that accomplished. Those other factors moved in. You know what? A lot of times my wife was out there. You know what? We did it together. Amen. We need more of that. We there's need always work that had to be done. There's always. I mean, there's always work. Housework, cars washed, lawn had to be mowed. And, you know, a lot of times society is deemed, well, this is woman's work and this is man's work. You know, it's just the way it has to be. But we always had a blast just doing it together. He helped me wash dishes and I helped him, you know, mow the lawn or whatever. And, yeah, we were doing work, but it sure made it a whole lot more fun doing it together because we can enjoy each other's company while we got the work done. So, I mean... I don't know, maybe we're just more blessed. But we just enjoy every minute of time we can spend together. I know some couples say, oh, I couldn't do that. I mean, when we evangelized for six years, we were together 24-7. You know, we were both in trailers. Sometimes he was studying, but I was there. We went to church together. We traveled together. We was always together everywhere we went. And when we came off the road, I was devastated because I loved it. I was going to miss him. You know, I treasured that time. And, uh, you know, as he was talking about, you know, um, wives being treated like servants and such you know the thing is when he's talking about the god factor is that god put marriage a man and a wife husband and wife on earth to be a physical representation of his spiritual relationship with the church and he referred to the church as his bride and how the lord was going to treat the bride was representative of how husbands should treat their wives and likewise how the church revered god is how wives should revere their husbands and you know, when he was talking about the different ways that some husbands would treat their wives in servanthood and, you know, almost like a maid, we have to ask ourselves in our relationship with God if that's the way that God treated us. If that was the way the Lord treated us, would we still want to serve him and please him and honor him? You know, because that was our, his representation on earth. And so if the Lord loved the bride so much for the church that he gave himself for it, that's the type of love that a husband should have for a wife and likewise the church and how we reverence and honor and are so thankful for the Lord and submit ourselves to him is the way that us as wives should revere our husbands because it's people think it's a lower place to be in a place of submission to our husband but just in the way you think about us being submissive to the Lord and submissive to him it's a, a way that we're protected we're taken care of we're nurtured we can almost say even pampered because, you know, things come up in our life and it's like, all right, God, take care of it. Take care of it for me, Lord. You know, I can't handle this. You handle it. Well, in some ways, it's okay to say, this is my husband and I'm going to let him handle it. I'm going to let him take care of it because he's treasuring and he's taking care of me like the Lord would take care of his bride. Amen. Amen. I'll stop there this morning. Let's stand. I won't go any further today. If we can, let's just bow our heads across this place this morning and let's pray for this, this unit, this, this covenant of marriage. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.